0: All right. Welcome to the Mentis podcast. Today, we have Meg Epstein with CA South. She is the CEO over there. They have over a billion dollars of development underway. Thank you, Meg, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, first off, I think the elephant in the room is I don't talk to a lot of uh, female developers. And right. I think that's awesome uh, that you're having so much success. Uh, w- what attracted you to this industry? And you know, are, you know, how are you cutting edge in the market? Today,
1: Yeah, I um, originally started in California. I was in high-end homes, so extremely large, you know, $50 million plus homes. And when I moved to Nashville, because I met my husband, um, I quickly realized that there was not a $50 million home market. So I transitioned into commercial. That was in 2016. And I um, I took the CCIM courses, which were really great in terms of establishing an investment mindset for commercial and, you know, just started doing my first couple projects in Nashville. Um, And so I never really thought about, you know, it being like a minority owned company or anything, but I quickly realized, especially in the South, that there's very little, um, you know, female, like women developers for sure.
0: Well, I'm glad it didn't stop you. And it seems like you are, you know, kind of blazing a trail here. Tell us about why you picked, uh, you know, kind of focusing in Nashville. I mean, you can develop really anywhere. I mean, I know you live there now, but is it important to you to like be near your projects or uh, kind of what is, you know, what's the, what's the, I guess, thesis on where you're investing?
1: Well I think having spent my whole life between California and New York um, and you know San Francisco and Los Angeles particularly, I, I and moving to Nashville, realized how like even before the big you know everyone started migrating here, um, realized how much better the quality of life is in Nashville and in other southeastern markets. And so I think it's a really good not only location but just cost of living and culture and you have know, the music and so. I knew that people were going to continue to move to Nashville, and so that sort of growth, we were on the forefront of that. And I think institutional capital from you know New York and more of the primary markets has since moved here, but that wasn't the case when we first started. So we kind of had a, a leg up there, um, and that's sort of what you know is my my investor basis was around bringing institutional capital to the southeast, and so. So we're now in Huntsville and we're looking in other Southeastern markets for our next
0: projects. Yeah, Huntsville's got a really compelling, uh, you know, kind of case for it. I mean, it's it's got a shocking number of uh, government funded jobs in the sectors. It's got actually a lot of like research and, you know, I'm I'm pretty impressed with what Huntsville has got going on and is one of the most, uh, I guess, uh, conservative places in the country. It's. Likely, you're going to get your evictions and get your entitlements in a quicker way. Um, mm-hmm. Not that that really matters, but it does. It does kind of play into, I guess. Oh, definitely. Where, you know where people are people are picking. Uh, so, if you don't mind, let's get, walk it back a little bit into COVID. How many developments did you guys have under underway at that time?
1: Um, probably like seven or eight. Usually, we have going at
0: once. Okay, so you had a large pipeline. Did you pause any of the projects? Uh, What were you doing to try to mitigate all of that inflation?
1: No, we didn't pause anything. I mean, our fundamentals have always been very supply constrained asset classes. So at that time, we were heavily in um, industrial and then like our mixed use urban infill product, which is you know it's basically multifamily but it's opportunity zones and more of a boutique product type that looks and feels a lot more modern with better architecture i think than a lot of you know more commoditized development and so that we did not hit pause nashville really blew up during covid because i didn't realize that it was going to cause so many more people from California and New York to move here, and so that brought you know the investor interest from all of these private equity funds that needed to place their capital but didn't want to place it in California, New York anymore. So um, it was actually a really great time for us. We that's when we hit over a billion and created some partnerships with you know like a public REIT, for example, that was used to only investing in the Northeast, and then they they you know saw national is a bigger opportunity. So I think it brought a lot more investor interest and then obviously was a bit of a catalyst for people moving in the southeast.
0: Okay. So you had you, know, you were kind of one of the beneficiaries of COVID, if you will, and you mm-hmm. kind of right place, right time. And that that's part of being in business. And it's nice to have those wins. So what did you do to mitigate kind of the troubles that came with it though? I mean, and, you know, with growth, you know, you still had probably those inflation issues that we were talking about. And obviously now we're dealing with interest rates. Uh, and, and carrying projects any any uh you know kind of trade secrets that you guys are willing to reveal here for us
1: i mean it's mainly just you know not doing i will never do a development that's so like doesn't have any margin enough margin in it like we are not merchant builders that just you know build to such like Slim margins that you don't have that room for error for interest rates or construction cost increases or construction delays. The, the biggest thing that impacted us um, beyond interest rates, in and that, that could just have been lucky because of the timing of when we started and we're um, entitling projects. Like right now, I'm in the entitlement phase of a lot of projects. And so, you know, the debt that we're underwriting still works, um, assuming that we're getting debt in a year from now. But I think that, you know, dealing with like electrical panels being delayed because they're so backlogged and um, mainly the issues around labor that came with COVID, a lot of people, tradesmen um, leaving the workforce. So we've drawn our workforce from Alabama and other you know, neighboring states to continue to get you know, construction done in Nashville, for example. Um, Pivoting into the industrial sector was something that I was really happy that we did because, again, if you just really focus on underlying fundamentals and being, you know, supply and demand there, it was inevitable that, you know, logistics and um, industrial and industrial users were going to need a place to go, but there was less than 2% vacancy in the asset classes we were developing. So even with COVID and increase interest rates, that demand doesn't go away. It's just about finding the right projects and not having such a machine that you have to do bad deals. So we just we just have to remain very um, pragmatic in our approach and not get emotional about the projects.
0: That's right. They're just numbers and it's just math sometimes. Uh, I guess, what about the loan structures that you kind of like alluded to there? What about going forward? What are you guys doing? Are you doing interest rate caps? Are you just putting more money down? Are you, you know, kind of just willing to I take that just, floating rate risk? Fixed rate. Yeah,
1: I think for now, like, and it, and it has affected some deals. Like I said, I've I've been always been a bit bearish on multi because so we also develop condos as well. And again, that's a supply thing. I hate doing condos, but they're very profitable and they're under supplied. So we do do some condo projects in the right locations. But our multifamily product is underwritten over a ten-year hold, and so that allows for a little bit more volatility in the short term because your returns are averaged over ten years for your investors. And so, I typically, if I'm doing a multifamily project, it's on a ten-year hold. And so, going forward, we're just you know we adjusted our underwriting to include. I mean, hopefully, construction costs will be going down, but lower leverage, higher interest rates, and if it doesn't work, then we're not doing it. And a lot of Roundup deals don't work. And so we, more recently, we focused on more value-add strategy and taking advantage of impending distress coming. How can we reposition some properties in our niche asset classes to um, account for, you know, being able to possibly buy for less than replacement costs? Because it just, there are a lot of deals that just don't work that maybe would have a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that the, the pressure from the Fed is putting... Maybe be a little bit more in balance with the the market and not have to worry about crazy things like uh, you know your electrical panels not coming in time or uh, your labor shortages. I think all of that is kind of coming in the future, but I think at least in our experience, we're gonna have to wait it out and just kind of get through it, and it, it it'll come. Right. Uh, so, what about in internally? Did you guys choose to bring uh, you know like project managers or asset managers or um, you know, like, I guess, uh, maybe even property management, what did you bring in house first? And, and what was like, something that you wish you had done to, to help you grow a little bit faster?
1: Well, I think when we, my C-suite is extremely amazing. And that took a lot of humming in to get the right people on the bus. So I have an incredible COO, CFO, chief development officer, And I think for any company, those roles are really important and you kind of build from the top down. Um, We did have some like greener people that have stepped up to the plate and we sort of groomed them. And I found that that's a lot easier than trying to bring someone in that's plug and play if you have the right C-suite. But one thing, you know, like right now we're hiring for an asset management position. I think it's hard having that, gap between greener people and super advanced people. And so that's something we are working on filling out a little bit more. But I think that, you know, we've gotten a lot done for the amount of development we do with a smaller team because everyone's extremely qualified. And it's very evident if there's a weak, weak link. And, you know, frankly, we've you know, have to eliminate a lot of people for that. So I think the team we have now, I feel really excited about and, um, and been working together long enough to pull it off, but it is, it's hard. I mean, we had, you know, two people, I think when I first, when I first started, it was just me. And then I hired my, um, you know, kind of right hand, but now we have, you know, 14 or so. And so there's a lot of, it's been hyper growth for sure for the last couple of years.
0: Well, that's awesome to hear and did you build that team locally are you doing remote work or you know what's your belief on kind of the the office space
1: everyone's been in the office except for um about six months during covid in and out um but no everyone's here in nashville especially given ground up development you kind of you definitely need to be here and have the local relationships with the local jurisdiction and um contractors and things like that so everyone is based in nashville my cfo a lot of people want to move to nashville so that's been you know a couple of people my director of capital markets came from montana um my cfo came from dc so we do get a lot of inbounds of people that want to work with us cuz they have heard about us and people want to move to nashville so that's also kind of helped
0: yeah no doubt i mean it picking the market not just for where you're building, but who you can hire is, is almost more important uh, on the business ownership side. Yeah. And so I guess, what does your day look like now that you have, you know, kind of what it sounds like is your operations folks in place? Are you kind of leading the charge, looking for new deals? Are you always raising capital? You know, where's your, where's your time?
1: time? Ideally, um, my day is spent raising capital and kind of overseeing finding projects. And then um, you know, more of like PR type things that you just can't outsource, but on the operations and finance side, that's pretty well taken care of by my, um, C-suite. Um, but you know, there's never, I'm still working on that. I mean, there's, we're selling a project right now and I'm very involved in, you know, every contract negotiation. And so I think as I, the, what's crazy about development or even, if we're doing a value add, the life cycle of the development is so long that, you know, it could be four years even. And so there's things that if I started a project three or four years ago, it's really, it's like, I'm just inclined to hand that, you know, to finish it up. And then as we get new projects and the team builds, someone can take it from the beginning. And I think that's been, um, that's a better way to approach it just because, there's so many moving parts of the deal and historical information. And so um, as I wrap up projects, I kind of, you know, I'm turning over those functions and that's it freed me up to be focused more on like capital raising and, and finding new projects.
0: All right. A little technical difficulties. Sorry about Didn't
1: that. You... Yeah, I don't I don't know. My internet seems like it's fine. Sorry about that.
0: Oh, okay. Um
1: natural
0: it's supposed to open
1: the spring.
0: All right. Let let's go back because um I'm gonna just like act act like we kind of you just answered that and I'll just uh take it and then I'll ask you the next question. And I want to kind of pivot back to that building that you're selling. And then Ali's over here is very interested about your hive project, if you don't Mm -hmm. mind talking about that one as well.
1: Sure. Sorry. Okay.
0: Uh all right. Well yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who aren't in development don't understand that some of these projects actually take a long time to carry across the finish line. And you know, like you're involved for four or five years at a time and you're so ingrained in all those nuanced details, it's really it's helpful when your team gets involved early on. That way you can kind of continue to free up your time. And I'm sure that'll pay dividends for you as you're able to kind of focus on the bigger picture. And that's, you know, I'm sure you guys are really going to take off even more than you already have. Uh, But you had mentioned a a building you're selling right now. Is there, uh, you know, anything that, uh, you know, is there, I guess, a new project that you're bringing on to replace that one? Or, you know, when when do you expect that to close?
1: Um, At any given time, we have about 10 projects going on the industrial and mixed use front, but we did just wrap up our, Um, it's called hive it's a downtown condo building but what's unique about it and what investors like is it you can short-term rent out the units and so it's a it's a business model we've done two other ones before very successfully and basically it gives the option for the buyer to short-term rent out a unit so they can either use it or have a place in nashville but when they're not there or a lot of them just rent it out as an investment and um it's a really nice option for people to have a cash flowing asset that they can just turn on. And, you know, especially during the summer season, and there's such an under supply of hotel rooms in Nashville, and, you know, bachelor parties come, it's more, it's more geared towards group travel or someone that's staying longer, but um, they're great. It's a great, you know, individual commercial asset that someone can own, but have more of like a, you know, like a cash flowing um, business out of it. So you get the depreciation and everything. So that that just launched um the last week or so. That's been going very well. Um, and yeah, it's exciting.
0: It sounds well, like it.
1: I, yeah. yeah cond- HiveNashville.com.
0: Okay. Uh, now, condos are notoriously difficult for all of the changes that each individual buyer wants. Are you limiting uh, you know, kind of what people are able to spec for the building. Or are you kind of just delivering it? This is your only option. You can change it later, or you know, how did you navigate that? That hurdle? Yes.
1: Well, just because we've been in the short-term rental space for so long, I think we kind of understand what people want. So we give people options in terms of not in terms of the finishes; those were all selected. It's a very nice neutral palette, but we offer for people to be able to buy furnished units. So it has all the furniture, you know, everything you would need to basically turn it on and start renting it. So like coffee maker sheets, you know, silverware, all of that. And um, so people can either furnish it themselves and a lot of people kind of create their own like, oh, I wanna make this the Dolly Parton unit or whatever and, you know, make it appealing to people that are traveling here. And then some people just want the turnkey option. So about half the building is, you um, furnished and gives people that ability to just go, Oh, I just want a unit in Nashville. And if I'm going to use it, okay. But otherwise it's going to be rented out when I'm not here.
0: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And are you guys managing that then? Or are you going to just kind of sell it, walk away?
1: No, we, we've, we, we've, um, we are going to be keeping quite a few of the units because it is a model I really love. And um, I, you know, try to move away from just being a merchant builder, but it's managed by a company called Placemaker that, specializes in short-term rental and they're more of an institutional operator that really understands building fundamentals and how to you know deal with people checking in and out and luggage storage and how do you run out the pool cabanas and all the things so
0: that sounds like a really uh you know a really unique model that it, it sounds like you're tapping into a really uh a deep market there in, in Nashville I mean mm-hmm. you mentioned the bachelorette bachelor parties and everything that is it, really quite a popular thing that I don't see going away anytime soon. And it sounds like it's going to go really well for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, as far as the, I guess the favorite asset, like asset class, I mean, you're you're not talking about like short-term rentals or, um, you know, kind of getting, you talked about a lot about it, industrial and uh, multifamily. Any, any hope for the office space?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, I, and not for me, there's plenty of really good office developers, but we try to stick to our niches. So industrial and mixed use urban and fill are really where we're focused.
0: That makes sense. Well, we did have about- an,
1: office building, um, an office condo building that we're still selling in Franklin. And that was, that was fine. It was a good project. Um, and it, I believe, especially in Nashville in the Southeast, that investors want to own versus um, rent because the rents have expanded so quickly. And so for someone like me, I own my office. I would hate to be paying a lease. Um, it's a great option. That one's called Alston and Franklin, but um, it's a great option to own your office space, but it only works for certain users. Like if you're not hyper-growth, like a tech company probably wouldn't be the best candidate for that. It's better for like financial planners or attorneys or doctors that just want to own their office space and you know not pay pay rent
0: essentially. Sure, and it's a, there's a big market that uh, people who want to do that, uh, you know, kind of make their office their own. They can renovate it how they want, and and so on, and actually spend one hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars renovating their office, and not just worry about giving that away to someone else, uh, which I've I've seen is the pushback in that space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something that you mentioned early on in our our talk here, and I've been saving it kind of here towards the end, is better architecture, and getting, you know, something that's uh, a better design and really better buildings, more efficient, uh, whether it be uh, design or whether it be energy efficiency. Could you tell us what you're doing? Are you really involved in it? Is this just a passion of yours? Or are you just hiring better architects? Like what, what are you doing to like deliver a better building? Because there is so many square boxes built in America. Uh, and, you know, just spending a little bit more time, I, I agree is a phenomenal way to to differentiate yourself. Uh, and it sounds like you come from California with a, a flair for style with $50 million homes. Obviously that's gonna be extreme architecture. I guess, what are you doing to apply that to your project so that you know, you're know you really standing out from the crowd?
1: Yes, um, well, having come from California, I do think my design aesthetic is very different than what you see in the Southeast. So one thing we've done is you know, in the beginning and continue to do is we'll just we'll use design architects or architects that have come from California and kind of have a different look and feel. I've never wanted to be a luxury developer. So on my condos and multi, I'm never competing with the Four Seasons or something, but it's still, um, we call it affordable luxury. It's like an, a middle market product, but just really designed very well and a lot more modern than what the typical spec is in the Southeast that, you know, kind of gets stamped and repeated a lot. And so we just try to be a lot more thoughtful about um, about uh, using modern architecture, clean lines, clean cabinetry, Um, the look and feel of the buildings are different. But we've done that by using California architects and then um, using more local architects for for the actual plans and same with the interior finishes, you know, I just, I just refuse to build and design something that looks like everything else is just sort of unimaginative. And so I think we've done a good job of blending affordability with modernism. And so I think that's given us a really great um, edge. And then just to really differentiate, because there's a lot of developments and when someone's looking to buy or rent, you want them to, you know, find something that stands out. And then we also um, I sit on the board of civic design Center, which is a nashville based um, group nonprofit that that focuses on. Things like wellness and walkability in the urban environment and so we're always trying to make our buildings more pet friendly and walkable and bring the outdoor outdoor indoor in spaces, Um, and we also focus a lot on local artists and so. Our buildings won't have, you know, generic art. It's all, we usually choose a local artist to feature in the building and commission them to design art around the building. And a lot of the times it'll be like, even a a woman, you know, local artist that we can feature or um, is incorporated into the project, depending on what the project look and feel is. And so it gives a little more personality in life than just an institutional asset, even though we're, you know, larger scale.
0: Sure sounds like that's I mean, like you're spending quite a bit of time and effort going above and beyond. I mean, you don't have to put that local artist in. I mean, but it does make a difference. And are you seeing are you seeing it pay dividends or are you just, it just kind of a good feeling feel like you're doing the right thing?
1: Uh, our track record. Yes, we have a really strong track record. Um, you know, it's been an amazing market for sure. But our our, our average IRRs are over 100% or something. So it's hard to say if it's like, is that because of the local artists? I don't don't know. But I think overall, we get a lot more investor interest and user interest because our projects are differentiated. So I think it's all of the things. I don't think it's one of the things, but I think if you do a good job and you can separate yourself out, that that always ends up in returns and inadvertently.
0: Sure. So where's... Where's next? Like, what's next uh, for both you and the company? uh, And I guess kind of at a macro level, the country, what are the what are the markets that are going to be hot in your opinion? And when do we get out of this interest rise, uh, you know, kind of increasing interest rate environment and back to more of a stable, uh, you know, kind of normal, normal economy?
1: Um, it's so funny. I have this thing on my desk. Someone gave me a banker just came to visit and he's like, here's your crystal ball and um, <laughs> I brought you one. So obviously it's really tough. I mean, the rates of interest, the interest rate rising is, is extremely scary The you know, how quickly it happened because no one really saw That And historically, you know, it's never raised that high that quickly. And so, as you're seeing with big institutions and Blackstone and, you know, the inventory starting to get very distressed, particularly in the office space, I think that I'm hoping they'll stop soon. I mean, they're they're causing a recession, we're in a recession now. Um, And so, unless they're completely trying to, you know, obliterate our economy, which I don't think is their intention, I, I would hope that it would, you know, taper down soon. Um I but no one also saw what happened. So we're not planning for that. I think we're just only focused on projects that work in today's environment and that we can get funded. Um, that being said, I think that for us we're very, very selective a lot more than we used to be about ground up development. And so I anticipate the industrial sector being one of our strongest asset classes in the Southeast particularly because of all of the growth and people continuing to move here. And I do think if the recession continues or if it's several year long recession that people are going to be continuing to move here because of the job growth and the cost of living. And so I think that our focus will only ever be on the southeast. I never see myself, you know, ever, even if we hit $10 billion developing in California or um, farther north. but. I do think that, you know, ground up is going to be tough for a while. And so we have some larger scale projects. Um, one is a phased over a billion dollar project on the river here in Nashville. That's going to be that even if we just did that for the next couple of years, we'd be okay. And so I think we're being really like looking at these larger um longer term plays as opposed to being a more merchant build model where we started as well as exploring value add and what what we can do to take advantage if there are assets that you can get below replacement costs and repositioning them in a way that still you know works so i think for us it's going to be um a, a heavier focus on industrial, typically been about 30% of our portfolio. And I call it about 50% of our pipeline, as well as um, value, you know, looking at value add.
0: Yeah, I mean, getting into the value add space has always been really kind of a good back, you know, kind of a backup. Um, And as, as developers, we like to kind of blend a little bit of new development with the value add. And that way, there's still the fun new stuff, because I don't know about you, but for me, the the developments are way more fun to focus on and kind of engage, engage in. Value adds. kind of like, all right, well, we're just going to do some deals, keep the business moving forward. It maybe doesn't inspire as much imagination. You got to bring the best you can to it. But it, for me, I think that development definitely is a more fun, um, fun place to spend your time. As a matter of fact, that's an interesting question. I, I hear at a lot of conferences that people don't necessarily like development because it's too much risk. Uh, I, there's obviously a large reward, but too much risk. Uh, how do you balance it? Like, How do you justify you know taking the risk or uh, is it just kind of in your blood now and you'll never stop? You
1: know, I know if I had known, if someone told me how hard it was, I probably wouldn't have started. But once the, the you know, when I first started, I had no money, no experience and no access to any institutional capital. I cold called all my investors in the beginning and I still cold call people. Um, and so after you can build a ground up condo building, which is one of the hardest asset classes to pull off, you can, I feel like I could do mostly anything, right? Because that is so buying an existing multifamily building versus building a ground-up condo building in terms of everything that goes into that financing, you know, the construction is. 10 times easier to do value add. And so I think we're very well positioned for pivoting and and it does make me feel like we we have a really great breadth in terms of what we can pull off. And so I think that ground up, you just have to be extremely selective now and just factor in a lot more. And we've always been that way in our underwriting and I'm not a huge firm. And so it's not like I have to do you know, a billion more in development, we can be really selective and just say, okay, we're only doing this because it's in, you know, it's within a mile of downtown and this is never, this location's never going anywhere and it still works, even if it takes two years longer and interest rates rise and construction costs are up 5%, if that still works, then then we'll do it. Um, but finding those deals and being more selective is, is going to be key in this market. There's a lot of people that made a lot of money because it just, you know, because of where interest rates were historically low and it wasn't, it's was pretty easy when rent grows so, you know, pr- like prevalent to make money, but I think those people are not going to be able to survive this. And so there should be some more opportunity here coming.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Now you're, you're doing a lot of projects at once and you're, you're, you, you as you mentioned to kind of a nimble team, what are you doing to kind of like balance I mean 8 projects at once are you developing some of them for other people are they all internal are you kind of coming to the to the table after architecture is already done or are you kind of like taking every single one of these projects from from you know A to Z
1: No it's every single one they're all in different phases so that does sound a little overwhelming but as i mentioned we're selling one now we're an entitlement on you know a couple we, one developer can usually handle a few entitlements because it's not that's not a full-time job you submit and then you're waiting right and when you're selling it's like all hands on deck but then when you're done which is hopefully a pretty short sales cycle like there you know so there it's it's you have to maintain the workflow but i'd say that at any given time those call it nine projects there's three that are being constructed there's three that are in entitlements there's three that are more in dispositions and so that hits different portions of the company and roles and so um doesn't always work out perfectly but there's and there's busy times you know the spring and some the spring and fall are really busy and then things slow down over the winter and people travel in the summer and so um you just kind of have to balance it but it's not it's not like all at once and once something's under construction you know your main job is making sure it's on budget and schedule and that's a lot of the gc that we lean on and so we have really great partners we've worked with over and over and over and we you know we can expect and so if you have the right People like doesn't have to be internal, but if you're using, you know, if we're grooved in, which we are with our accounting team and our G- GC team, and um, even outsourced property management or project management, outsourced property management, you're leaning on your partners a lot. So, your main job is just making sure they're doing their job. And if you know that they can and you've worked with them before, it makes it a lot easier. And that takes no years doubt. to really hone in on, you know, I mean, you have to go through a couple sometimes.
0: I couldn't agree more on finding the right people and, you know, finding the right GC uh, project management folks are critical to keeping your projects on schedule and managing those budgets, like you had mentioned, but picking the right person, like you said, is not always a guarantee on the first go around. Uh, So it sounds like you guys are kind of already gone through that, 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 that gauntlet, if you will, and you're made it through to the other side and kind of ready to, you know, continue to grow smart and, and fast. Well, I wish you know. I wish you guys really you know. Well, if, if people are interested in learning more about you or the company, where can they reach out and find you?
1: Um, we're pretty active on LinkedIn. We usually do a couple of posts a week to kind of keep people updated on where we're at. So that's just CA South. That's our LinkedIn. Um, our website has all of our projects on it. That's casouthdevelopment.com. And there's a contact sheet on there if anyone, you know, has any further questions. And then the project we're selling, the STR1 is HiveNashville.com, H-Y-V-E Nashville.com.
0: That's a very, uh, that's a cool investment for anybody who's looking to, you know, get a short-term rental. It can't go wrong with Nashville. I'm sure it's a uh, beautifully built building. And uh, best of luck. You're, you know, absolutely setting it on fire. Keep it up. And thanks again for coming on. good luck with with everything you guys are tackling right now.
1: Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day. Okay, you too. All right.